15, uh, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Uh, I guess um, the first thing I think it's important to, to note with that is that um, uh, I guess for a lot of us, we think we may possibly run the risk of thinking that um, gospel work or church work or um, missions work is all about just presenting the gospel message, like, you know, the, the preaching side, like the, okay, here is the gospel. Jesus Christ, Son of God, died for our sins, now believe. And I think that's it. Okay, as long as we're doing that, we're, we're cool. But the thing is, that's not, that was the first trip. Remember that, the first trip, they, they, they very much so did things like that. And the thing is, about the work of ministry is sometimes you do have to deal with that from time to time. In fact, you should always have the ability to say, this is what we believe in. But it's not, it isn't just in with that. The, the work of the missions, the work of the gospel that we see the apostles here doing is a building up of a, of a church, a building up of a people, a building up of a community. So it's not just enough to believe and then check out. You know, okay, yeah, I got my fire insurance. Now I can go and burn the house down. You know, that's it, it, not what Christianity is about. Christianity, as we see even with Jesus and his teaching, is it's about discipleship. It's about following Jesus. It's about being a student of Christ. It's about changing your life. Uh, John the Baptist and Jesus both preach repentance. And these are things that we've talked about in the past, so I know you guys are all experts on it. You guys are very aware of the fact that being a Christian isn't just about, um, you know, just saying a prayer and then being, you know, settled. It's, it's, a, it's a growing process. It's a uh, changing process. And so because of that, Paul and Barnabas, they've experienced that in their own lives, the change, the growth, the development, walking with God closely, um, changing, you know, just... And the thing is, in these next few verses, we're going to see a lot of new people being introduced. And the thing is, and I love these verses. I love these next two chapters. They're, they're not dynamic doctrinal verses. They're not big, challenging, exciting, like kick you in the face kind of verses. They're just really nice verses to see what the church does. You know, and a lot of it, and with that, we're going to see a lot of new towns, which means we're going to see a lot of new people. And with that, people we're going to be introduced to specific individuals, and, and, and that's what I think the church is all about. The church is all about a community of people living together, working out their problems together, sorting things out, you know, um, asking questions about how we ought to live our lives, things that we talked about in the last few weeks. Um, you know, what are we even doing here? What's a, what's a point? What's a purpose? You know, still a question that's asked today, which I think is satanic, is, you know, why even bother go to church? You know, because I think 
Satan would want to see us lose our faith and, and, and become ineffective. And so one of the things he would want to do is keep us from going to church, which is, um, which is I think is purely from Satan. You know, but you see here a people, a group of people loving each other, spending time with each other, growing together. And so that's what they're doing. Let's go back. They, they, they've been to these places. They've already given the, the good news of, of Jesus and what God's doing in his, in his world. They've already made that very clear. So they don't need to go back to do the Sunday night gospel service again, just to preach the good news to the people who already believe. You know, you heard, you know that, that term, preaching to the choir? There's no need to preach to the choir. If the people already accept the message, then what they need to do is they need to be encouraged to grow up, encouraged to develop, to continue in these things. So they visit, they want to visit the believers in all the towns where they preach the word of the Lord to see how they're doing, to see how they're doing. And in order to do that, you have to get to know people, you know, you have to be spiritual, you know, you have to be able to, to follow what's going on. What's, what's God actually doing right here, right now? So you have to be sensitive to these things and sensitive to people. So Barnabas wanted to take John. You remember John? And the cool thing is, a lot of these people, John also called Mark. And the cool thing about these people is they are really significant. And they're important people. Here, John Mark is a little punk that just caused Paul nothing but grief. In fact, he doesn't even want to be around him. Look what it says. Barnabas wants to take his cousin, John, Mark. But Paul, in verse 38, did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia. Remember the first mission? He bailed on him. He's like, I don't want anything to do with that guy right now. I want to get busy. And this guy is just a distraction. So, okay, this guy here. And okay, now, now right now, in, in our minds, we have this young fellow, John Mark, who's, who's basically irresponsible, like most 20-year-olds I know. No offense, 20-year-olds. And I hate to say it, now a lot of 30-year-olds are irresponsible because of the prolonged adolescence dilemma. So, here we have this irresponsible fellow, right? And, and, and Paul, he's, he's an older guy. He's, he's, he's intelligent. He's serious. He sees the mission. He sees the vision. I'm, I, I'm, too, I got too, I'm, I'm taking this seriously. I don't want to fool around. So I'm not interested in John Mark. But the cool thing about John Mark is this. Do you guys know what's significant about John Mark? Well, first of all, he has a really close relationship with Peter. And you know who Peter, right? St. Peter, right? P the, the good, good friend of Jesus, one of the original apostles, one of the big chief leaders of the church. Why? Because he knew Jesus very, very well. Now, why does this matter? Well, because you see, Jesus, he lived a life and did amazing things. And the, way, the only way we know about this is it was written down. It was documented. How was it documented? Well, you see, Peter was good friends with Jesus, right? And Peter was also really close to this guy here named John Mark. And you know what John Mark did? He wrote down, he was one of the first guys to write down what Jesus did and said in the gospel of Mark. See, yeah, he's a young punk here, but look what he was able to do in time, if you give him some time. And, um, and the gospel of Mark is very important. If a lot of biblical, ancient, scholar, textual critics to this day, they look at two primary sources for the gospels. What is Mark? The other one's a thing uh, which we don't have access to called Q, which is supposedly this contemporary with Mark, but informed of the writings of Luke. Luke, 
Also wrote a gospel, important fella. Luke also wrote the book we're reading today, Acts. Luke is going to join the party later on. So these people, people are important. People, as long as they're following God's will, as long as they believe in God and they're saying, okay, I believe in God, now I want to do hee-haw about it. That's not the kind of people we're talking about. Those are a waste of time. I'm talking about these are people who say, I believe in Jesus Christ, now what do I do? How do I follow? How do I get involved with what he's doing in this world? I don't want to just float about aimlessly. I want to do something. That's the guys like Mark. Yeah, he makes mistakes. He messes up. He offended Paul. Paul didn't want to be with them. But you know what? He grew up and he did amazing things. Um, again, Luke, who wrote these, this book we're reading today. We have the honor and the privilege to actually sit and read. Imagine if Luke didn't write these things down. So, they had a sharp disagreement. And they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. So Barnabas and Mark are doing the same journey they did on the first trip. Because I kind of, if you were to look, at, we'll look at the map in just a moment. But, but, but the way how the journey is, the way how that, their demographic, if you will, you know, modern day Turkey, Asia Minor, all the way down to, to, to Greece and the islands in the Mediterranean, they're taking the clockwise. If you draw it like an oval slash rectangular, they're taking the, or their intent is to possibly take either a circular, or, Paul went way far, so, but the original trip was like this. So they went out and back. So, that's kind of, so we're assuming that's kind of what Barnabas is wanting to do again. But Paul is going to do the opposite. He's going to do a counterclockwise. And he's going to go even further because God's going to lead him out. So then Paul chose Silas and left commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthened the churches. Syria, that's where they were. That's where Antioch, Antioch was in Syria. It's in a region. Cilicia is also a region in modern-day Turkey, I believe, maybe kind of the south-east-ish of it. And their intention, again, is to strengthen the churches. So these churches already exist. They already believe. They didn't go to entertain them. They didn't go to put on, you know, shows for the people. They went to strengthen the people. Why? Because they need to be strengthened. In this world, people need to be strengthened. Believers need to be strengthened. The church needs to be strengthened. Next slide. Okay, I told you I was going to make a map. I actually went through four or five maps since I found this one. It's my favorite map by far. First of all, it's got colors. I like colors. Yes, I, I love maps as well. That's why I have to have maps. So to, to the right of this, you, well, first of all, look at the red line. It looks like kind of a rectangular. And if you remember the first trip, they went up to Lycia, Pamphylia, up to Lystria and Iconium, which is in Galatia, the green bit, and they came back through Cyprus, right? Well, this time, look at how far he's going to go. Isn't that awesome? But they're starting there in Antioch, which is in the far right there. And you can't, it's not written there, but that's actually in Syria. I had a crop the map to get to fit and make it big. So that's in Syria. But they're going to go up through Cilicia, through Tarsus, up again to these, these, these churches that they planted, these areas they've been to before, Derby, Lystria, Iconium. So that's their intention. And as we're going to see as we read on, their intention after that is to travel up. They want to go north. But God said, no, I don't want you to do that. I want you to go that way towards Macedonia. And they're going to travel through Asia, and by the way, those, see those little see in Asia, the red bit, all those little cities, those are all the um, churches that were um, to Jesus wrote letters to in the Revelation, 
which were referred to as the seven churches of, 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 of Revelation, seven churches of Asia. So, um, you know, Ephesus, Smyrna, Philadelphia, Thyatira, that, that's, that's significant because we're going to meet a lady later on in Philadelphia, which is way up in Macedonia, or Philippi, I'm sorry, Philippi. We're going to meet a lady there called Lydia pretty soon. She comes from Thyatira, which is one of the churches in Asia, seven churches. You know Ephesus, you know the book of Ephesus, Ephesians. You know, Philadelphia is in there. Um, what else is there that we know? Colossae. You know, guys know Colossae. The book of Colossians was written to those people there. Now, he's not going to visit them today, but that's, those, that's what those areas are. But they are going to make their way all the way up through Troas into Philippi. And you know Philippi. Philippians. The book of Philippians. Again, a letter written to a church with the intention of what? Growing and strengthening the church. And then they keep going. In fact, we're going to get as far as Philippi today. So all the rest of the journey we're going to hold off on. But we're going to start at Antioch, and we're going to talk about all the way going up to Philippi. Okay, next slide, please. Now, I might return to that map, but I hope you guys got a good mental picture of what's happening. So now we're in chapter 16. I told you we're going to finish chapter 15. You didn't believe me. We've only been there for four weeks. So now we're in chapter 16. So Paul came to Derby and then to Lystria, which we've already seen some of those towns. Um, this is on the way to, in Turkey towards um, Galatia, where a disciple named Timothy lived. Okay, young Timothy, another, a new person. That's why I called this slide, Timothy Joins the Band. So Timothy, a young fellow, he lived there. His mother was Jewish and a believer, believer in Christ, okay, but whose father was a Greek, um, now, the further we go away from Israel and Jerusalem, the more we're going to see less of a Jewish influence, more of a, what's called a Gentile influence, the Grecio-Roman, especially the Roman influence. So we're going to see less. In fact, the further east they go towards Rome, the more resistance they're going to get because at this time, the Jews were exiled from Rome. And they're in, Philippi, in Philippi, which we're going to see next, is, is referred to at the time as Little Rome. It was a big, important Roman colony at the time. And there was, there was a lot of like, anti-Semitic feel going on there. So Paul, and, as a Jew, and his buddy Barnabas, no wait, who's he traveling with? Um, Silas? Yeah. They're going to get some grief. But the cool thing is to bring also Timothy here, who, you know, is, um, you know, basically a Gentile. Uh, half Gentile, half Jew. So he's Jewish, he's Greek. So the believers at Lystria and Iconium spoke well of him. He had a good reputation. Paul likes that because of his experience with young people. Paul wanted to take him along for the journey. Maybe to fill the role, the helpful role that they intended, you know, John Mark to have. Does name John Mark? No. Is it John Mark? I'm, all these names are getting confusing. Anyways, so, okay, this is where it gets weird. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who live in the area. For they all knew his father was Greek. Okay, there's two issues with this. The first one is the obvious one. It's like, wait, the last two weeks we're talking about this big problem about not needing to be circumcised, right? Why did Paul now decide it's a good idea to circumcise this guy? Okay, well, this is a distinction, and it's really simple, really, really simple. The debate was, do you need to be circumcised to be right by God? Do you need to be circumcised to be a Christian? And the answer to that question is no. 
However, then they went on to these requirements, which are talking about the ethics and the morality, you know, what's right and what we ought to do to be good people, to have a good life, an effective life. Okay, and so this falls into that category. No, you don't have to be circumcised, young Timothy. However, they don't want to make it an issue as they travel. They don't want to stumble the people they're trying to reach out to because they knew he was a Greek. So they said, it's probably a good idea. He refuses to circumcise Titus later on. But just, okay, now listen, guys. Now, put on your mommy and daddy thinking caps, okay? Imagine the missionaries coming to town and wanting to take your son and cut his foreskin off and take him on a trip with them. Okay? <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, come on, let's get real here. But the thing is, though, these people weren't just, you know, people like you and I. These people were extraordinary people. These are people who actually believed in what was going on. They believed in what God was doing. They believed in what Jesus has done. These people, what's happening here was significant. And so, you know, Timothy's mommy and daddy, they were like, you know what? All the glory to God's. This is for God and the building of God's kingdom. This is for God's will. So you know what? Timothy, go. And this is the same kind of idea we have with like, like Samuel and his mommy who, who, who gave Samuel to God. So here I think we see a similar thing. These are two believers who actually believed. They didn't just say they were Christians. They didn't just, weren't just churchgoers. They actually believed they actually believed the message. And they said, yes, God, do something. Do something in our lives, do something in our world, and take our son Timothy with you. So as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So again, we already talked about the requirements. Remember that these, these things that, they, that, that the Jerusalem to church in Jerusalem, ask the people to, 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 to respect, to, to uphold, you know. And we've already talked about them in detail, so I'm not going to talk about them again now. So it's good news. It's not about legalism. It's about right living. But obedience is interesting because it takes us to another level, right? It's this fact of obedience because if these are requirements, but now you're being asked to obey it, to follow these things, then we do have a potential of running the risk of sin, i.e. disobedience. And, and the thing is, we, this, this obedience, this fact, don't forget the intention of these apostles and disciples were to strengthen the church, and obedience actually gives us strength. So if we feel like, oh, I don't feel very strong, well, then maybe you're not being obedient to God. Because obedience gives strength. The word obedience is to, to guard, to watch, to keep watch, to remember Again, this is not about working out your righteousness before God. This isn't about like achieving a right standing with God. This is about, like we learned the last few weeks, practical ethics. Just doing what's right. Seeking and desiring to, to, to do good and to be a good person. To live the good life. So these people were being strengthened and encouraged. It wasn't about salvation. They were saved. They had no problem with it. But they wanted them. And I think about like, like the other letters that Paul wrote, like say the Corinth church. The Corinth church was messed up. And all the time he's trying to encourage them. Yeah, I'm not doubting your salvation. What I want you to do now is to grow up because I want you to have a good life. And that's the same thing here. Obedience is necessary. 
Next slide, please. So here's Timothy. He's, he's joining, I think that's a picture of Timothy and Paul running about, doing their mission, going about. Um, in Timothy, you know, okay, first of all, do you guys know what the significance of Timothy? Well, he's believed to be um, to become a pastor in a church somewhere in, in, in Asia or Galatia, possibly Ephesus, possibly Philippi. But, but he, he comes along to grow up and does a really important, important, significant work for the gospel in the church in the area. But look at, this is, this is Paul here writing to the church in Philippi, which, of course, we're going to get to Philippi pretty soon, okay? We're, we're going to make our way to Philippi. But here, here's him writing to the church of Philippi later on. This is actually when Paul was in prison, I think, in Rome. And he wrote to them to encourage them. And he's talking to them about young Timothy, the pastor. And he says this about him. I hope in Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by, your good, by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Look at the character of Timothy, someone who's concerned for the welfare of other people. Look and think about how valuable he is. According to Paul, and Paul probably knew a lot of people, there's no one he trusted like Timothy. For I have no one like him. Paul probably knew a lot of people, might have been a lot of people. But of all these people, there's this one fella we knows will have genuine concern for the welfare of other people. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Isn't that sad? Of all people Paul knew, he's basically saying here that everyone just looks out for themselves, except for this guy. He's unique. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And so on and so forth. Next slide, please. So moving on, moving on in in Acts 16, verse 6. Paul and his companions, they traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. These are the regions, okay, the big areas. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word, in the province of Asia. Now that's weird because, I mean, in my mind, my simple-minded mind, I think God always wants us to preach the word, right? Always preach the word. Don't ever stop preaching the word. God would, it's always in God's will that his word be preached. But according to this, they stopped the preaching of the word. The Holy Spirit stopped. They're in the area. They're in the province of Asia, but they didn't have opportunity to preach. Why? Maybe because, well, I think it's, it's obvious as, we, as, as the story unfolds, because he didn't want them to stop. If they were in Asia and their ministry was successful, they wouldn't have left, right? We're preaching, people are responding, let's stay. But you see, God wanted them to keep going. He wanted them to get to Macedonia. He wanted the, the message to get out even further. That was God's will, okay? People, okay, Time. Time. Sometimes people need time, right? Because think about what's Timothy's role. Timothy's role is to return to this area, right? So let Timothy do that work. But you, Paul, need to keep going. So this this area isn't for you. You have to. You're, you're for somewhere else. Timothy and the other folk will come back and and do this work here. And that's why being a Christian, being a follower of God, of Christ, you have to be spiritual, which means you have to be flexible. 
which means you have to be intelligent. You have to be thoughtful. You have to have an active relationship with God and ask him all the time, God, what what am I supposed to do? You know what I'm saying? Because because he, he does things. He's very active. So then, um, verse 7, they came to the border of, Mis- uh, of, of Mycenae, which is up north. Remember, I told you, they, I think they wanted to go up north. So they said, okay, nothing's going on in Asia, let's go north. They tried to enter um, Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them. Another thing, why didn't God not want them to go there? Are those people not good enough for the gospel? I don't think so. But the bottom line is this, that's not where God wanted them to be. Why God didn't want them to be there is speculation. But the reality is, he wanted him to go to Macedonia. So the Spirit of God stopped him. So they passed by Mycenae, went down to Troas, which if you remember is the coast leading towards modern-day um, Greece. So we're, we're, so we're on the east, I'm sorry, the west coast of Turkey now. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And the word for help us means to bring aid. And after Paul said, seeing the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. But wait a second. Do you guys see a word in there that hasn't appeared before? You guys know, because you guys are all literature experts. The tense is changing here slightly, isn't it? How is the tense changing? Here, Paul, everything's in kind of third person, right? Paul. He did this, they did this, they did that, all in that, you know, third person, second perspective. Now it's like a first person, plural perspective, all of a sudden, verse 10. All of a sudden it changes. We. Who's we? Why did that change? Well, who wrote the book of Acts? We believe it's Luke. So I believe, with others, that when they were in Troas... They met Luke. And Luke was already documenting the Gospels himself. He, he was, by the way, Luke, he was a, a doctor, possibly trained in Philippi where they're heading to. But he was a scholar. He was an academic. And he, he, had the, he was charged to document what the church is all about, what they did, their history. So that's why Luke provided us with a Gospel account, as well as this wonderful history book, called the Acts of the Apostles. So here, and so maybe this is the time where he started to really gather information. Listen, I'm trying to document what's going on here with this, with this church. Now, and as it expands, as it grows, I want to document all this stuff. So Paul, tell us all the things that, that's been going on in the last few years. So maybe this was his opportunity to really start capturing notes and writing things down. But regardless, here in Acts 16.10, something if it happens, and that's when Luke joins the party. So after Paul has seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel to them. So I wrote these little notes here, and they're, and they're, and they're kind of, they might seem strange, and don't get me wrong, I'm not asking you to leave our church, okay? What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to think about your life in general, okay? Not just about, like, do I belong in Cornerstone? Because I frankly believe you guys all believe, belong in Cornerstone. But the reality is, I'm thinking about big picture stuff. I'm talking about opportunities, okay? I'm talking about when you leave this building. You know, hopefully Cornerstone is just an extension of who you are, but I hope you're a much bigger person than just Cornerstone, 
Okay, I hope that your ministry stretches way beyond Cornerstone and way beyond shots. And so when you're out there living your life, hopefully you're living your life for Jesus Christ. And hopefully you're seeking opportunity to share your faith with people. So that's why I wrote this little note on the bottom here. Is the Holy Spirit keeping you from preaching the word where you are now? Ask yourself, maybe your friends you're hanging out with, people you're associating with are bringing you down. And they're not allowing you to exercise your faith verbally, practically. Maybe, you know, maybe you're going to places that you feel convicted and you don't want to open your mouth and talk about Jesus because you feel like you're being a wee bit of a hypocrite. Possibly, I don't know. Or maybe it's a genuine situation, but it's just no fruit. And you're wondering why. Because again, I don't think the people, you know, up by the Black Sea were bad people necessarily. They're not any better than the Macedonians, right? Because you have good people and you have bad people. I don't care where you are regionally. But why did God want them to go to Macedonia? It's a simple answer. It's because that's where God's will for Paul was. Other people will bring the gospel there eventually. So the question is, where does God want you to be? Maybe God's guiding your mission to another place. Do you want to know where to go? Well, Jesus will show you. Sometimes he does it by shutting doors, like with Paul. Here he shut the door. He shut their mouth. He shut the door to go north. And, and, and it was obvious where they were to go. And sometimes he gives vision. Paul had a vision. Okay? He saw this, this man begging him, please come to Macedonia. We need you. Macedonia was ready. It needed the aid that only the disciples can give. Next slide, please. This is another five minutes at the most, guys. I'm almost done. So from Troas, verse 11, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day we went to Neapolis. From there we traveled. So now here's them basically sailing about and now they're entering into Macedonia, which is North Greece, Macedonia. From there, we traveled to Philippi, which is a Roman calling. Like I said earlier, Philippi was quite an important place. It was considered the second Rome, if you will. So it was a, it was a hustle bustle. It, was, it had heavy commerce. It was a very important place. It was a military stronghold. So it was very important, this place, Philippi. It was a Roman colony in the leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. In verse 13, on the Sabbath. Now, just as I read this, think about the behavior of the disciples. Okay? Think about the behavior and try to think, you know, why do they do the things that they did? Because I think as Christians, we need to learn good behavior. <laughs> right? So one of the ways we learn good behavior is by looking at people who inspire us. And I really hope Paul inspires you guys. I really hope these disciples inspire you guys. I mean, they're certainly inspiring. They've inspired the church for 2,000 years. So let's look at them and look at the behavior that they have, their tendencies. So they show up into town. They're there in Philippi. And what do they do? On the Sabbath, they went outside the city gate to the river where... Well, this is where we expected to find a place of prayer. Now, interesting note, usually they would go to the synagogues. But there's a good chance that there was no synagogue in Philippi, which meant there wasn't a, a, a strong enough. Because you need at least, what, 10 um, um, Jewish believing males, you know, so 10 families basically, to have a synagogue. For every 10 males, there would be a synagogue. In fact, if there was no synagogue, 
I mean, the Jewish population was pretty low, if, if not even existent. So they're looking for a place to pray. So, you know, do you need church? Yeah, you need church. Yeah, you need a place to get together. They went, that was their first choice. Their first choice was always to go to the meeting places, to go to the synagogue. But if you don't have the synagogue, the second best choice is to find somewhere beautiful in nature. Yeah? That's what they did. They would always go to church. They would always go to the synagogue, the meeting places, because it's it's effective. But if you couldn't do that, go somewhere that's beautiful, that's peaceful. That's that's what they did. They looked for a nice place by the river. Find a place to pray. And look what they did. They went and they prayed. You know, they didn't avoid prayer. They met for prayer. They sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. And that's interesting. If they went to the synagogue, in the synagogue, they would be segregated. They wouldn't be able to easily speak to these women in the synagogue because of the way how things were structured. But here, because there's no synagogue, they had an opportunity to speak to people they wouldn't normally speak to. So there you go. That's God doing something pretty cool. Speak to these women who were gathering there. One of those listening was a very important person for the church as well as for the area. A woman from the city of Thyatira. Remember we talked about Thyatira, which is Asia, which is a heavy-duty commerce area in Asia. Heavy-duty commerce area. In fact, her commerce, her commerce was a dealer of purple cloth. So she was a, a successful businesswoman. And she was likely moved her business and her life to Philippi for, for growth and expansion. Because like I said, Philippi was a very big hustle bustle of a place. And then she was a worshiper of God. This is a term you use a lot of times. We saw this with Cornelius, right? And all the different Gentiles. Where, they were, where people had a sensitivity. They weren't Jewish. They didn't grow up in the Jewish community. But yet they had a sensitivity for God. And you know what I'm talking about? People who may have never been to church, but they have the sensitivity of God. Like, I wonder, you know, is God real? And, I, and I, you know what? I want to go a step further. They're not just people who wonder if God's real. They're people who are convinced that God's real, but they just don't know how to worship him. They just want to worship God. And they're looking for something. They, they, you know, they're, they're open to God. That's who she was. So she didn't have a lot of information about God. She was open to God. She was, she's looking for information, but she loved God. She was convinced that God exists just by nature. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her house were baptized. So here again, like I said, even though their intent was to build up a church, they took opportunities to preach the gospel. And here he is. Gospels preached. She was convinced. She was saved. Not just her, but guys, look at the influence that we have on people in our lives. We, if we don't influence our households like this, then man, oh man, I'm wondering, what's the problem? Their household was baptized. This woman was so important. She was so substantial in her home. <laughs> that her children, the servants, if she had a husband, her husband, were convinced. Yes, this is, that's how influential. She didn't hide her faith from her family. She didn't keep her faith from her family. It was contagious. It set her family on fire. Not just her, but her whole household were baptized, which meant they believed. She invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded. One of the commentators made um, a note here that if she had a house big enough for servants, for her family, and yet for four of these men to fit in comfortably without any embarrassment, she had a pretty big house. So she was successful. And I liked how success didn't, you know, I'm okay. I don't need God because I'm okay. 
I've got enough money. I've got enough food. I've got enough comforts. I don't need God. She, you know, people could be like that. Don't, don't complicate the situation. I'm not going to add God to my life because my life's good enough as it is. She wasn't like that. She saw that there was a, a void in her heart that needed to be filled by God.